Book two, chapter nine of Red Masquerade. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Red Masquerade by Louis Joseph Vance. Book two, The Lone Wolf's Daughter, Chapter nine, Mrs. Waring late in the forenoon a pencil of golden light found a chink in jealously drawn draperies and groped the rich dusk of the bedchamber till it came to rest as if happy that its search had found so lovely a reward upon the face of a young girl who lay sleeping in a bed whose exquisite adornment must have flattered even the exalted person of a princess with a swift but silent movement another girl who had been sitting patiently on a low stool near by rose and put herself in the way of the sunbeam but too late already long lashes were a flutter upon the delicately modelled cheeks of the sleeper a gentle sigh brushed parting lips the sweet body stirred luxuriously unclouded by any shadow of misgiving the blue eyes of the princess sophia looked out upon the first day of her new world then they grew wide with wonder comprehending the sleek pretty face of a chinese girl of about her own age who with eyes downcast demure mouth and folded hands submissively awaited recognition who are you sophia demanded in a breath a bob of courtesy wholly charming prefaced a reply patted in english of quaintest accent you handmaiden chow nu is my name my handmaiden yes princess sophia but i don't understand how when last night number one he sent for me but when i come you go sleep number one surprise coloured faintly the explanation prince victor honourable father of princess sophia you like get up now take bath have breakfast the smile was irresistibly ingratiating sophia could not but return it delighted chow nu ran to the windows threw wide their draperies and darted into the bathroom autumnal sunlight kindled to burning beauty the golden bronze tresses coiled upon the pillows where sophia lay unstirring like a princess enchanted as indeed she was surely nothing less potent than magic had wrought this metamorphosis in the fabric of her life and whether the magic were white or black what matter its work was good no more the café des exiles no more the deadly tedium of daily service at the desk of the caisse no more the shrewish tongue of mama therese the odious oglings of papa dupont the ceaseless cark of discontent incredible as one who moves in a dream sophia rose presently and bathed 
then robed in a ravishing negligee of rare brocade breakfasted on melon tea and toast from a service of eggshell china in a long mirror she saw and watched but did not know herself like goody two-shoes of nursery fame she could have cried look merci this is never i the presence of chow nu served merely to stress the sense of unreality for obviously only the heroine of a true fairy tale could have broken from a chrysalis stage of sordid soho to the brilliant butterfly existence of a russian princess domiciled in the most aristocratic quarter of london and attended by a chinese maid and chow nu proved a delight once satisfied she need fear neither ill-temper nor arrogance from her new mistress she indulged an even and constant flow of artless high spirits her amusing clipped english affording sophia considerable entertainment together with not a little food for thought thus one learnt that the main body of the service staff was chinese under a major-domo named shaik tsin chow nu's second uncle who enjoyed prince victor's completest confidence and was second to the latter only the real head of the establishment its presiding genius the front of the house alone was dressed with a handful of english servants nominally under the man nogam but actually like him answerable in the last instance to shaik tsin why this should be chow nu couldn't say sophia supposed it was because prince victor thought his occidental guests would feel more at ease with english servants or perhaps he himself preferred them when it came to the question of personal attendance no success rewarded efforts to extract from chow nu her reason for referring to victor as number one she stated simply that all chinamen in london called him that and being pressed further added with as near an approach to impatience as her gentle nature could muster that it was obviously because prince victor was number one everybody knew that a knock at the door interrupted sophia's questioning answering chow brought back word that the honourable father of princess sophia submitted his august felicitations and solicited the immediate favour of her serene attendance in his study hasty search failed to locate the garments discarded on going to bed and in the indifference of depression and fatigue left in a tumble on the floor all had vanished while sophia slept chow nu professed blank ignorance of their fate and apparently nothing had been provided in their stead but chinese robes of sumptuous vestments well suited to one of high estate with these then and with chow nu's guidance as to choice and ceremonious arrangements sophia was obliged to make shift and anything but unbecoming she found them or truly it was a shape of dream that looked out from her mirror 
yet it was with reluctant feet that she left her room descended the broad staircase to the entrance hall and addressed herself to the study door it had been so beautiful that waking dream the sequel to her night of dreamless sleep too beautiful to be foregone without regret for sophia had not forgotten she could never forget she had merely been successful temporarily in banishing from mind that bitter disillusionment which had poisoned what should have been her time of greatest joy to be told by the father of whose dear existence one had only learned within the hour that one was the child of a notorious thief and an adventuress it needed more than common fortitude to face renewed reminder of that shame oddly enough it seemed to help a bit somehow to lend her courage and assurance to pass the man nogam in the hall and acknowledge his bow and smile sophia wondered vaguely what it was that made his smile seem so kind it was entirely respectful there was nothing more in it that she could fix on and yet she was able to offer victor a composed almost happy countenance and to return cheerful assurances to punctilious enquiries after her well-being and her comfort overnight to the real affection in which he held her the warmth of his embrace and the lingering pressure of his lips gave convincing testimony and in time no doubt as she grew to know him better her response would become more spontaneous and true indeed she insisted it must she would school herself if need be to remember that this strange man was the author of her being the natural objects of her affections deserving all her love if only because of that nobility which had enabled him to renounce those evil ways of years long dead but to-day and this of course she couldn't understand a slight but invincible shiver perceptible to herself alone attended her submission to paternal caresses and the eyes were too dispassionate with which she saw prince victor still they found little to which fair exception might be taken if life had thus far been callously frank with sophia as to its broader aspects the niceties of its technique remained measurably a mystery she was insufficiently instructed to perceive that victor's morning coat for example had been cut a shade too cleverly or that the ensemble of his raiment was a trace ornate and where a mind more mundane would have marked ponderable constraint in his manner she saw only dignity and reserve but for all that she recognized intuitively a lack of something in the man the sum of this second impression of him was formless disappointment she felt somehow cheated disheartened chilled that she was able at all to dissemble this sense of dashed expectations was thanks in the main to a third party a stranger whose presence she overlooked on entering 
when prince victor met her near the door while the other remained aside half hidden in the recess of a window directly however that victor half turned away saying i have found a friend for you my dear sophia following his glance discovered a woman whose every detail of dress and deportment was unmistakably of the fashionable world and whose face carried souvenirs of loveliness as unmistakable smiling and offering her hands she approached while victor's voice of heavy modulations uttered formally sybil permit me to present my daughter sophia mrs waring has graciously offered to sponsor your introduction to society to guide and instruct you and be in every way your mentor my dear the woman exclaimed holding sophia's hands and kissing her cheek and then looking aside to victor but how very like she added with the air of tender reminiscence oh sophia cried you knew my mother indeed and loved her sophia never dreamt to question the woman's sincerity and her charm of manner was irresistible you must try to like me a little for her sake as if one could help liking you for your own mrs waring prettily said my dear you have inherited more from your mother than your good looks alone is it not so mon prince much more victor's enigmatic smile gave place to a look of regret and uneasiness let us hope however not too much heredity he mused in sombre mood is a force of such fatality in our lives he gave a gesture of solicitude and continued with characteristic deliberation and that preciseness of diction which he seemed never able to forget even though deeply moved more than ever now that sophia is restored to me i could wish the past other than what it was that she might start life with a handicap less cruel of inherited tendencies but when i reflect that both her parents please sophia begged piteous oh please i am sorry my dear victor closed tender hands over those which the girl had lifted in appeal it is for your own good only i give myself this pain of warning you against your worst enemy i mean yourself the self that is so strange a compound of hereditary weaknesses please remember always that no matter what may happen however far you may be led into transgression of the social codes i shall never reproach you on the contrary you may count implicitly on my sympathetic understanding never forget i too have known have suffered and fought myself and in the end one at a cost i am not yet finished paying nor will be i fear this side of my grave he sighed from his heart and bowing a stricken head seemed to lose himself in disconsolate reverie but not so far as to suffer the interruption which sophia made to offer and which he stayed with an eloquent hand 
you do not understand but naturally let me explain no there is no reason why sybil mrs waring should not hear she is a dear friend of long years she understands with a quiet murmur oh quite mrs waring ran an affectionate arm around sophia's shoulders and gently held the girl to her when i determined to forsake the bad old ways victor pursued this you must know my dear i had friends of a sort who resented my defection set themselves against my will and when they found they could not swerve me from my purpose became my enemies that was long ago but to this day some of them persist in their enmity i have to be constantly on my guard you mean there's danger sophia asked in quick anxiety your life always victor assented gravely with a shrug he added it is nothing for myself i'm used to it i do not greatly care but for you that is another matter altogether i have a great fear for you my child that indeed is why i never tried to find you till yesterday believing as i mistakenly did you were in good hands well cared for happy lest my enemies seek to strike at me through you but when i saw that unfortunate advertisement i dared delay not another hour about bringing you within the compass of my protection even now untiring as my care for you shall ever be i know my enemies will be as tireless in endeavours to rob me of you you will be followed hounded importuned lied to threatened all without rest if they cannot take you from me bodily they will seek to poison your mind against me therefore rather than keep you practically a prisoner in your home i feel obliged to require a promise from you deeply stirred by the melancholy gravity that informed his pose the girl protested earnestly anything i will promise anything rather than be an anxiety to one who is so kind kind to my own daughter victor smiled sadly but i love you little sophia nor is it much that i must ask of you merely that you never go out alone but only in the company of mrs waring or mr Coslick, or preferably both oh i promise that but there is more if by any accident you should ever find yourself left alone in public do not let strangers speak to you refuse to listen to them i promise and finally if anybody should ever seek to turn you against me come to me instantly and tell me about it but naturally i would do that father good i rely upon your discretion and loyalty at another time i will explain matters in more detail for the present enough of an unpleasant subject you have a busy day before you at my request mrs waring has arranged to have various tradespeople wait upon you this morning to take your orders for the beginnings of a wardrobe 
if you can find something ready-made to wear you will want no doubt to spend the afternoon shopping a car will be at your disposal and i give you carte blanche i wish you never to know an unsatisfied need or desire still i am selfish enough to reserve for myself the happiness of selecting your jewels oh sophia cried breathlessly victor was holding his arms open and how should she deny him you are too good to me she murmured how can i ever show my gratitude holding her close victor smiled a singular smile some day i may tell you but to-day no more i am much preoccupied with affairs but mrs waring will take care of you till evening when i promise myself the pleasure of dining with you both at the sound of a knock he put sophia gently from him and said in a strong voice enter the door opened nogam announced mr sturm hard on the echo of his name a man swung into the room with an air at once nervous and aggressive a tall man shabbily dressed holding his head high and at sight of sophia and mrs waring where he had doubtless thought to find prince victor alone stopped short betraying disconcertation in the way he instinctively assumed the stand of a soldier at attention bringing his heels together with an undeniable click straightening his shoulders stiffening both arms to rigidity at his sides and for a bare thought his eyes rolled almost wildly in their deep sockets then he bowed twice from the hips with mechanical precision profoundly to victor with deep respect to the women victor smothered an exclamation of annoyance unbidden a word shaped in sophia's consciousness a french monosyllable into which the war had packed every shade and gradation of hatred and contempt the epithet bosch immediately erasing every sign of irritation victor greeted the man with casual suavity oh there you are eh sturm then as sophia and mrs waring turned to go he added quickly a moment please since mr sturm to-day becomes a member of the household acting as my assistant in some research work which i am undertaking i may as well present him now mrs waring permit me mr sturm and the princess sophia vasilievsky my daughter mumbling their names after victor the man sturm executed two more bows at the same time he seemed to remind himself that his soldierly carriage was perhaps injudicious and forthwith abandoned it for a studied slouch which in sophia's sight was little less than insolent and unmistakably there was something nearly resembling insolence in the eyes that boldly sought hers a look equivocal at best and intentionally or no wholly offensive in essence as if the fellow were asserting their partnership in some secret understanding 
or as if he knew something by no means to sophia's credit her acknowledgment of his salute was accordingly cool and she was glad when a nod from prince victor gave her leave to go End of book two chapter nine